0: All right, turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you need Bibles, our students are coming forward. And we're going to look at another topic this morning that's very important. It's been kind of fun. We started the book of 1 Corinthians in the new year. And as we started this book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen some important things for the new year. We've seen on how to be a great church. We've seen for two weeks we spent talking about wisdom and how important wisdom is. And not just wisdom of the world, wisdom of God. We saw the importance of having the mind of Christ and being people that are living in the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. We saw some principles on wisdom in the last couple weeks. Now we're gonna see some principles today on serving. Serving. Principles for being great servants. I don't know about you, but I I daydream sometimes about being great and stuff. I wanna be great at what, I I wanna be a great husband. I wanna be a great dad. I want to be a great golfer. That's eluded me. <laughs> I, want, I, I want to be a great Christian. I want to be a great witness. Greatness, greatness. It's, it's in our hearts to be great at, at some things. But you know what? Jesus said, You want to be great at something? Be a servant. He said this in Matthew chapter 20. He talked to his, brought all his disciples around him as they were discussing who's going to be on his right or who's going to be his left in the kingdom to come. And Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your what? servant. That's greatness in God's kingdom. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your servant slave. Now listen to this. Just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, you want to be great? Become a servant. Be a servant. And Jesus just didn't speak those words. He lived them. Think about his three years of public ministry. All he did for three years was serve people. He touched the leper. No one would get within a block of lepers. He would not only get in their, in their zone there, but he would touch them and heal them. He would go to the person that was demon-possessed, cut himself with rocks. Everybody walked around him, this demon-possessed man, avoided his geographical place, and Jesus went right to him, set him free from those demons. Amazing. He had thousands of people listening to him teach His disciples said, send them all home so they could all feed themselves. Jesus said, no, no, we're not doing that. Give me two fish and five loaves of bread. Bring them here. And he multiplied them and fed thousands because he wanted to serve them. But the greatest service he did was on the cross. When he died on the cross as a humble servant to pay for our sins. Greater love has no man than this. He laid on his life for his friends. And on the night that he was going to be arrested to be crucified, he started communion, new sacrament, but he also got on his knees with a towel. And he washed dirty disciples' feet. And he said this, he said to them, he said, you called me Lord and Master, you're right, I am. But I did this, he said, because just as I've served you, I want you to serve one another. What makes you great In God's kingdom, being a servant, simply put. And here's the rub on this, too. It's interesting. You want to have a great marriage? Be a servant to your spouse. You want to be a great parent? Be a servant to those kids that you have an opportunity to serve. Serve them any way you can. Serve them. You want to be a great friend? Serve you want to be a great person in your vocation, the place you work at? Serve. Because the rest of the world is just about self-promotion and selfishness and getting, what, getting while the getting's good. But if you learn to be a servant, you'll be a great worker in that marketplace. And you'll, hey, want to be a great leader? Serve. Greatness goes along with being a servant. So, we're going to look at some principles this morning on servanthood from one of the greatest servants that ever served in the church of Jesus Christ. His name was the Apostle Paul. I think we learned some things from him. Ready to study, church? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at it. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. You beat me there. All right. Apostle Paul, speaking, and from his inspired pen, it says, let a man regard us in this manner as what? What? There it is, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, more of it's required of stewards that one be found, what? Trustworthy. Now, the first thing you need to see, servants of Christ, the word servant there is not the typical Greek word used in the New Testament for servant. Typical Greek word used in the New Testament for a servant is doulos, bondslave. Paul often, often introduced himself, apostle of Jesus Christ, and a doulos, a servant, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Often, oftentimes he began his letters that way. But here, the word servant, interesting word, it's this, hypo-hyporetase, and it literally means under-rower. How many people here saw the movie of Ben-Hur? Uh, how many saw the new movie Ben-Hur? Hey, it was a great movie. That new updated Ben-Hur is wonderful. But do you remember the scene in Ben-Hur when he's under the sh- galley of the ship and he's rowing as a slave? And what they did in that culture, the Roman Empire, the way they had ships is they had slaves in the bottom of the ship and they'd listen to their commander up on the top of the ship and many of the ships actually had drums. And, and the cadence of the drum would dictate how fast they would row the oars. If it speeded up, they'd roll faster. If it slowed down, they'd roll slower. And that would help navigate the ship, especially at wartime. And then they had a different beat or rhythm for right side, harder, left side, harder, and that would navigate the ship. And so what Paul's saying here is servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to serve God, you need to be an under rower. What does that mean? It means this, that you have a commander who's up there, his name is Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you listen to his commands, and then you do what he says to do in your service for him. You know why that's important? Because we need to have an a ear that hears the voice of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, and then go in the direction he says to go. we need to be people that live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, What? acknowledge him, and then he will make your path straight. The other version says he will direct your path. And those that serve well and serve Jesus Christ well are people that listen. They have ears to hear what the Spirit says and they have this apt ability to hear the commands of Jesus Christ and then go in the direction he says to go. And it's wonderful because as you hear his voice, then you're following his commands and you're doing what he says to do. Um, one of my pet peeves, i got a few of them, <clears throat> but one of my pet peeves is this, uh, Calvary Chapel, Lexington, oh, that, that's John Hoppy's church. No, it's not. It's Jesus' church, because Jesus said, I will build, listen, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is Jesus saying there in Matthew 16? He's saying, the church is Jesus' church, We're, I'm just an under I'm just trying to listen to what he says to do and then go in the direction he says to go. And I tell you what, I've seen in the last 31 years of ministry, I'm most blessed when I'm keeping an abiding relationship with Christ, I'm staying in the Word and in prayer in my personal times, I'm hearing his voice, and then I'm doing what he says to do, and then I'm serving in the direction he wants me to serve in. And that's what under do. We maintain a close relationship with Christ through prayer and the Word being in church, hearing his voice, and then as he commands us, we go in the direction he says to go. I'll never forget, as Heidi and I were being directed here from Wisconsin to start our third church. and We were trying to figure out where does the Lord want us to go to serve him to start this new church in Columbia, South Carolina. We went to Irmo, we went to West Columbia, went downtown by the, uh, by the USC campus. Nothing seemed right. And then I remember driving in on Highway 1 past the old Red Mill. And as soon as we drove, Heidi and I both, into this town called Lexington, we looked at each other, and we looked up, and we both said, this is it. This is where the next church is supposed to be, where Calvary Chapel is supposed to be started, right here. And I'm so glad I listened to him, because we saw it year after year, all the time, God opening doors that only him, he could supernaturally open because we were going in the direction he wanted us to go. So that's the first point. We're under rowers. Under rowers are sitting in the galley. We're down here in the galley of the world and we're listening from above in our relationship with Christ so he could direct our service for him. Second thing is, it goes back to verse two. In this case, more of it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Look at the word steward there. We're not only servants under rowers, but we're stewards. Now when I think of stewards, I think automatically of the guy in the airplane that serves you peanuts. Steward, right? And I, I, I'd never wanna be one. But that's a steward to me. That's not what steward in the New Testament. Steward in the New Testament was a manager. Literally what they'd have is they'd have a wealthy master, and the steward was usually a slave that would take care of everything in the household for his master. Now, he he took care of everything, but he owned nothing. He was a steward. He'd take care of the master's uh, house, crops, bills, workers, and the master would delegate everything to him. And then the master, if he went traveling or whatever else, he, he had a steward, took care of everything. See the analogy to us? We're here for 60, 70, maybe 80 years. We're stewards. We're just managing stuff for God. We're managing our time, our talents, our treasures, and they're only on loan from God for 60, 70, 80 years. And we're stewards. Joseph, example of that in the Old Testament. He was in Potiphar's house. He took everything for Potiphar. And he was the manager of that household. We're the manager of the stuff in the 60, 70, 80 years that God's given us. We're to manage it well. And notice the word there. How are we to manage? We're to manage what God has given us in a trustworthy way. We're to be faithful. One of my heart's desire is to live out my life first, which is be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. That's my life verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But my desire is to live that out so that when I get to heaven and I see my God, I'll hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. I want more than anything because Jesus has served me so well on the cross. I want to serve him and his people so that I'll hear it at the end of my life, well done, you've been faithful. You've been a knucklehead sometimes, but you were faithful. You didn't always do the right thing, John, I haven't, but you were trustworthy. That's what service is all about, isn't it? Faithful, trustworthy, and if you're an usher, you're faithful. You show up on time, you do what you're supposed to do, and you get it done. If you do children's ministry, you're faithful, you're trustworthy, you're going to be there for those kids, and you're going to serve them, you're serving them well, because ultimately in serving those kids, you're serving Jesus Christ. If you're a small group host, you're faithful. You're a good host, you're hospitable. Uh, You're a witness, you're faithful. What does that mean? It means you're living what you're speaking to people, and they're seeing your faithfulness to your God, and you're faithful in your witness. We're faithful. We're to be trustworthy. We're stewards. We're managers of our time, our talents, our treasures. For the Lord Jesus Christ, we're faithful. Uh, One of my favorite uh, Calvary Chapel pastors is Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie pastors this huge Calvary Chapel, probably one of the largest Calvary chapels in the world right now in Riverside, California. And Greg came out, I just read his book and saw the little documentary video he had on him too uh, called Lost Boy, and it was amazing because Greg came out of a home where there was seven stepdads. His mom was an alcoholic, and he had the epitome of dysfunctional home. Just a mess. And when he was 17 years old, a guy was witnessing to him and invited him uh, after the witness to a place called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And Greg just got on fire for the Lord. He was faithfully attending Calvary Chapel for a couple years. He'd go to every Bible study he could, every church service he could. He was there just faithfully trying to study God's word and learn it. And then Pastor Chuck invited him in to be a part of the office, even though he was only 18 years old, and Pastor Chuck said, hey, we need someone just to serve around the office, and Greg became the gopher. You know what a gopher is? Someone that goes and does all the errands. And so when the pastors needed a, do- a doorknob for a new office door or whatever else, uh, Greg, go get a doorknob. When, when a pastor needed an area, a classroom clean, hey, Greg, go clean, go clean the classroom. And he was just faithful. He was faithful. He did, what, did whatever he could just to serve. And then there was a Bible study that got started in Riverside, California by Chuck Smith Jr., actually. And the Bible study was out in the smoggy Riverside area, and nobody wanted to go there. And Chuck Smith Jr. came back and did another Bible study by the church. And so there was a Bible study with a bunch of people in the Bible study that needed someone to lead the Bible study. And so Pastor Chuck said, Greg, could you go lead that Bible study? He was 19 years old. And he started leading this Bible study after just two years after becoming a Christian, and the Bible study within two years grew to 2,000 people as he just faithfully served the Lord. And now he speaks in stadiums and amphitheaters at Harvest Crusades and talk about faithful. Look at these ushers. Man, they're being faithful. They're cleaning up a coffee mist. Let's give them a hand this morning. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Larry, we'll take care of the rest of that. We're good. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get the rest of that. We're good. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, good and faithful ushers. See, that's that's an object lesson right there. That's a living illustration. Praise the Lord. Way to go, guys. Way to go, guys. Um, So faithfulness. Stewards, servants listen, and they follow the commands of their master. Servants are trustworthy, and they're what? Faithful, 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 faithful. So let's go on now. Let's go on. Verse 3. But to me it's a very small thing that it may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact I do not even examine myself. Now you need to understand what's going on here. Remember some people were aligning themselves with Apollo. Some people with Peter. Some people with Paul. And there was a party spirit. And what they were saying is I don't want to listen to Paul. I want to listen to Apollos. He's more educated. He's more mighty in the scriptures. And so there was this contention going on within the church. Some people were just siding with one person and not another person. And it was causing division in the church. And so Paul says to them in the midst of this, hey, it's no big deal you guys examining me, but verse 4 he says, for I'm conscious of (coughs) nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is who? The Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will bring both to light and things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Here's the next point Paul's making. He's saying, you guys are examining me, you're judging me, you're saying that I'm not worthy to teach you because Paulus was such a better teacher or Peter was an apostle with Jesus the whole time. And Paul says, hey, I'm not going to listen to this judgment because man isn't supposed to judge me, God's supposed to judge me. And I don't even judge, listen to what he says, I don't even judge myself. You know what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying, I know I'm a chief of sinners. I know I persecuted Christians. I killed Christians. I was a part of that. So I can't even judge myself. Otherwise, I'd be under condemnation. But God, who knows the heart, who examines the heart, only God knows the motives of men's heart. And by the way, that's why Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And Jesus said, when we're judging people, it's like we're trying to take a speck of sawdust out of their eye when we have a rafter in our own eyes. And that's why Jesus said, we're not to be judging people, we're to be loving people. But it's interesting, he's saying here, ultimately, the one who will judge me is Jesus Christ. And so a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the next point, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to be a man pleaser, but a God pleaser. Do you see that? You know why that's important in our service? Because if we're always trying to please men, we're going to be pulled in a million different directions rather than listening as an roar to what God's leading us to do. And we're not going to press on to the upward call of God that God has for our lives if we're always trying to please men. Well, it's not about pleasing men. It's about pleasing God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.9, he said this, I make it my ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's my ambition. Not to please men, but to please God. Paul put it this way in First Thessalonians. He, he went on to say something similar. He said First Thessalonians two four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. Remember, as a twenty four year old pastor starting our first church, I was trying to please everybody. And about a year into planting that church, I realized I can't do this. If I'm pleasing everybody, this person wants me to go this direction, this person wants me to go this direction, and I'm going, oh, like this. And then finally, the Lord laid in my heart, quit trying to please everybody and just listen to me and please me. And you know what? The older I get, the more I'm realizing I could care less what people want for me. I want what God wants for me. The older I get, the less I'm about pleasing people and the more I'm about as I'm getting closer and closer to seeing him, the more I'm about see, uh, pleasing him. And that's, and that's helping my, me in my service of the Lord because I'm ultimately trying to not please men. I'm trying to listen to my commander in chief and just go the direction he calls me to go. My pastor of the church I went to when I was in college had a dad that was a rich, wealthy businessman in Kalamazoo, Michigan, but he was also a strong Christian. His dad was. He was telling us a story one sermon. he said that his dad had just bought a brand new sailboat, and he had it docked in Kalamazoo, Michigan area, on the shores of Lake Michigan. And his dad was bringing a business associate with him to see this brand new sailboat, and uh, this dad was a little eccentric, so he painted this brand new sailboat purple. And as he brought this business associate to see this brand new sailboat that was just pristine condition, but it was purple... And the new business associate or new, the, the person who's seen this new sailboat saw as it came up to the slip and said, why'd you paint your sailboat purple? That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I mean, you ruined the sailboat by, by, by painting it purple. And my pastor's dad said, you really think so? And he goes, yeah, this is, oh, it's just ugly. It's so, I mean, you painted it purple. Why'd you do that? You ruined the sailboat. And the, my pastor's dad said, you really think so? He goes, yeah, it's just so bad what you did to the sailboat. And finally he said, do you really think so? He goes, yeah. And he goes, and do you really think I care what you think? (laughs) The older I get, the more I'm like that too. I don't care what you say. I don't care if you're examining me. I don't care if you're judging me. I don't care if you're criticizing me. I care about pleasing God. And that needs to be our hearts, along with the Apostle Paul, if we're going to serve God, because men will stretch you and pull you in all different directions and get you even to back down on what you believe if you're trying to please men. We're, to, we're not about pleasing men, we're about pleasing God. Amen? Amen. And that's what we need to be about. Is Paul, that's Paul's heart right there. And now, what's going on, he's going to use some divine circum, uh, sarcasm in verse 8. Look what he says you're, You, Corinthians, you're already filled. Actually, back it up. Go back, to, go back to verse six. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against another. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now, you need to understand the context here. Um, <clears throat> there was all kinds of issues going on within the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts. We're going to see in cha- uh, chapter 12 and 14 the misuse of spiritual gifts that was going on within the church. There was people all over the services speaking in tongues to the point there was confusion in the services. And so what Paul's addressing here in that first verse of verse 6, he's saying, you, Corinthians, you, learn, you need to learn to not exceed what is written. In other words, you need to keep within the biblical parameters for worship. That's a word for the church today. Because oftentimes, people are stretching, exceeding what is written in the Word of God, practicing things experientially within worship services that just aren't in the Scriptures. People doing cartwheels down the middle aisle of the church, or people running laps around the sanctuary, or people... Barking like dogs or laughing, you know, holy laughter. There's all kinds of winds of things that have blown through the church that have exceeded what is written. And I don't know about you, but I don't want anything happening here at Calvary Chapel, especially during the worship services, that doesn't have biblical precedence and exceeds what is written within the Word of God. I want to stick with the Word because there's enough stuff in here to keep us busy and active in practicing gifts that we're supposed to be practicing, not to exceed what is written. Amen. And we'll deal with that. We believe all things should be done. We believe in all the spiritual gifts, but they should be done decently and in order. And that's why I love Calvary Chapel, because Calvary Chapel believes in the gifts, but we practice them in such a way that we're not exceeding what is written in the Word of God. We practice them, yes, but we're going to practice them pastored in such a way that they're done decently and in order. But also, Paul's saying, you guys, with your gifts, you're not only exceeding what is written, but also... You're taking credit for what God's gifted you with. Go back to verse 7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You see what Paul's saying there? He's saying that you guys have these gifts, and there's a lot of gifts flowing at Corinth that were good. There's gifts of words of wisdom, prophecy. There was all kinds of gifts that were wonderfully being used within the church, but some of the believers there were taking credit and saying, I'm all that because I got these gifts. And the book of James tells us very clearly, James 1:17, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Who should get the credit for anything we do in our service with our guests? It's God. Don't ever, don't ever grab the glory from God. Because the next point of being a servant is this, you need to maintain a humble spirit. Because if you don't stay humble in the gifts God's given you, he will humble you. I've learned that. If I start getting prideful in any gifts God's given me, God has a very good way of humbling me. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen? Amen? Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Before honor comes humility. And that's the kind of servants we're supposed to be. I love Micah 6, 8. He has shown the old man, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice and to love kindness and to what? Walk humbly with your God. That's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament because it wraps it up. We're supposed to be kind, we're supposed to be just, and we're supposed to be humble. And one of the amazing things about the Lord Jesus Christ is he was Lord of the universe, he was King of kings and Lord of lords, but it also says he was gentle and humble in heart. Humble, kings of kings, Lord of lords, and he's humble. And we're supposed to be humble too because that's who we follow. All right, I wasn't too happy about Alabama winning the national championship. I thought Clemson had it again. They didn't have it. I'll, I'll go Bama, I know. And, and you know what? Crimson Tide, he, he, he got her done again. Can you say dynasty? Wasn't too happy about it. But after, after the game and that interview by the quarterback who was the second string quarterback, I don't know if you saw that or not. And as he threw that winning touchdown in the last seconds pass, as soon as he was interviewed after the game, it was amazing to me. He said, I want to give All the glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's pointing up. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And when God gives us the opportunity to serve him and some some great things happen because of our gifts or whatever else, never grab the glory, always point up, because then he can continue to use you as a servant, because you're humble. Pastor Chuck, the founder of Calvary Chapel, one of the most humble men I've ever met, and whenever the incredible results that came with Calvary Chapel of 1,200 churches across the nation, some of the largest churches in the country are Calvary Chapels. Whenever they'd be brought up at a conference or whatever else where I'd be at with him, I'd always see him. He'd constantly say, hey, "It had nothing to do with me," because he said the first 17 years of my ministry there was no fruit, and the first 17 years of his ministry he had small little churches, he bounced from church to church, and nothing happened. And the Lord probably did that with Pastor Chuck just so that when revival hit, he'd remember those first 17 years and he would stay humble because he stayed humble. He always pointed off and said, this movement of Calvary Chapel, it's not by my might nor by my power, it's only because of what God has done by his spirit. And we've had the privilege of sitting and watching the greatness of what God has done here. That's humble. One of my other heroes besides Pastor Chuck is Billy Graham. And I love Billy Graham because God's used him to lead millions to Christ. Great servant of the Lord, but he's also humble. Asked by Larry King, what's your first question when you get to heaven? What are you gonna ask God? First question you're gonna ask God when you get to heaven. He responded, why me? Why'd you use a farm boy from Charlotte, North Carolina to be a counsel to kings and lead millions to Christ? Why me? That's exactly why I used Billy Graham because he was always humble. He was always pointing up, never grabbing the glory, always saying that anything happens because of God and not me. Amen? Amen. So, another principle of serving is just stay humble. Let's go on now. Now we'll get to the divine sarcasm. Verse 8 You, Corinthians, you're already filled, you've already become rich you become kings with us. Now that's divine sarcasm because there was wealthy, prideful Corinthians that need to be humbled here. And so he's doing some contrast here with the apostles. And he says, and indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we've become a spectacle to the world, both to angels, to men. Now look what Paul says about the apostles. He's putting himself along with the apostles. We are fools for Christ's sake but you're prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we're without honor. To this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed, roughly treated. Listen, he's saying that as apostles, we're even at times homeless. We toil, working with our own hands. When we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. What's Paul's point here? First of all, he's trying to humble these prideful Corinthians, and say, You guys think you're all that? Where we as apostles, we have been through everything. We've been through people looking at us as fools. We've been homeless. We've been regarded as even the scum of the earth. And here's the next point in being a servant if you're going to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you not only have to be humble, you've got to realize there's times in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be some sacrifice required. Because Jesus said, Take up your cross daily, and deny yourself, and follow me. And a part of living for Christ is sometimes we're going to have to sacrifice for that cause of Christ. One of the problems we have as American Christians, it's way too easy to be a Christian here. we got Christian bookstores, we got Christian radio stations, we got Christian TV, we got Bibles in every house, we even live in a place called the Bible Belt. It's way too easy to be a Christian here, but you go to other countries, like we're praying for Afghanistan and North Korea, it ain't easy to be a Christian there. But what we see in those, those areas where it's tough to be a Christian and there's persecution, and there's people just, just going to prison or dying for the cause of Christ, there's a pure Christianity. There's more of an on-fire Christianity because of the sacrifices that are involved there. I'll never forget Gospel for Asian Missionaries being in our old sanctuary, sharing with us, uh, that's the K.P. Yohanan uh, Gospel for Asia that has missionaries all through India. And this missionary that came was uh, had been in North India. And he said that the pastors in North India are given a shovel before they go into their cities to plant their churches. And I said, why do they get a shovel? And he explained, he said that they dig their own grave outside the city uh, area. And that's going to be their grave because most of them know in starting a church in Northern India in those cities, they're going to be martyred for the cause of Christ. But they still go into the cities. That's sacrifice. We have a wimpy Christianity here in America compared to that, don't we? But we need to be people that realize that if we're serving Jesus, sometimes our commands from up above, above are going to cause us to be sacrificial. What do we mean? It might, we might have to make a sacrifice at work. Where because we're being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be some insulting, some criticism, some judgment, some alienation. Hey, so be it, right? Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works, and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. I don't care. Hey, people are dying in northern India starting churches. How can we be like this because of some alienation. Why would we not be a witness in our workplaces for the cause of Jesus Christ? Sacrifice, right? If we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, let's not be afraid of making some sacrifices for him. So excited about the spiritual gifts class. Last Sunday, I kind of snuck out during the first service during the worship, and I snuck out during the second song. I wanted to go over there and see what's going on in the cafe, and there was like 60 people in there learning about how to find their gifts and use them. And that's going to bring some sacrifice when you're using those gifts of time, talents, and treasures. But praise the Lord. We got 60 people in the church who want to learn more about how they can sacrifice, and it's a way to use their gifts. So excited about this box of joys we did over Christmas. <clears throat> I was amazed. We just announced it for a couple Sundays. And we raised over $50,000 in a couple Sundays to help pay off the debt on this property and these buildings. And I, I looked at some of the checks, they weren't easy ones. I saw, I saw one check, someone wrote for $10,000, another check for $15,000. I'm going, that's, that's a tough check to write right there. Some sacrifice involved with that. But that's going to enable the church, as we pay off the whole debt on this land, that's going to enable the church to do more missions, more ministry, more staff people. Praise the Lord. Some people made some sacrifices like that. But that's what servants do. We're not afraid to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Amen? Let's close up the chapter now. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. For if you had countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. You see what Paul's saying there? You've had Apollos teach you, you've had Peter teach you, you've had countless teachers, but you've only got one spiritual papa, and I'm it. For, For in Christ Jesus I have become your father through the gospel. He said, I've led many of you to Christ in the city of Corinth. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some have become arrogant, prideful, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out the words of those who are arrogant uh, about their powers, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in what? Power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of general? See what Paul's saying there? He said, some of you guys, and this is, again, a corrective letter. And he says, some of you guys are in sin. And we're going to see in the next chapter, there was actually sexual immorality going on within the church that wasn't even heard of among the pagans. We're going to see in another chapter that they were suing each other in the church. We're going to see in another chapter that people were coming to the communion table. Some of them were coming to the communion table drunk. And Paul says, you need to get this stuff in order. And you need to repent of these things, because when I come to you, if you don't repent of these things, when I come to you, I'm coming in power. And I'll come with a rod of correction, but if you repent, I'll come with a spirit of gentleness and love. But if you don't repent, I'm coming, I'm coming with a rod of correction and a power. And that's spoken by the guy, (laughs) listen, he's the guy that when a magician was giving him a hard time on the mission field, he spoke a word and blinded him. That's spoken by the guy that when his apron would be left behind from making tents, sick people would just touch his apron and the power would come off the apron and heal them. This is a guy that I don't want to be in a rod of correction position with. (laughs) But here's the last point about being a servant for the Lord Most High. Here's the last point. Be willing to confront others with truth and love. That's a part of our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's this thing here, especially in the Bible Belt, I've noticed. I love living here, by the way. I've been here for 20 years. I'm officially a Southerner after 20 years. Okay, I love Lexington, South Carolina. This is my home. But what I've seen in our culture here a little bit sometimes is there's this, this tendency towards don't rock the boat. Be nice. Don't rock the boat. Just sweep it under the carpet if necessary. Is that what we're supposed to do with each other as Christians? Ephesians, Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. And then Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Now, does that mean when you see a brother or sister in sin, you come with your Bible and you start Bible beating them? You know, whack! Whack! you do that how does that work for you by the way doesn't work very well because walls go up when you start beating people with your bible but galatians 6 says when someone's in error what you do is you come with them with a spirit of gentleness examining your own self first and then you bring confrontation and truth to them through the word of god we need to do that we need to care enough about other people we're going to confront them when they're in error right because that's what family does good family does that And we're to be people that aren't afraid of speaking truth and love into other people's lives. It's very important. The guy that led me to Christ almost 40 years ago, man, he used to make me mad. He walked home. I was his project for six months. He walked home with me from school, high school, every day to 315 North Euclid. And he purposely went out of the way to walk home with me to share Christ with me. And I remember some conversations with him when he would just speak truth into my life. It was like an alarm bell going off to wake me up. I mean, it would ring my bell, some of the things. That, I'll never forget one conversation I had with him. He was sharing a gospel with me, and he said, Do you, John, he's saying, John Hoppy, if you don't receive Christ, you're going to... You, you're going to go to hell, and I go no, Bruce. God's a loving God, and it doesn't—he's he, going to—he's going to accept me no matter what. And I said, "Do you really believe that I don't receive Christ? I'm going to go to hell." He looked at me right in the eye and said, "Yep, that's exactly where you're going right now if you're to die." And I was like ringing my bell. I'm going really. And then another time, I, I was trying to get him to back off. I said, "Bruce, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm a Christian." And he looked me right in the eye, I'll never forget it. He looked me right in the eye, bold-faced, truth, and said, you wouldn't be living the way you're living if you were really saved. And I knew he was right. I was in immorality, drunkenness on the weekends, swearing like a sailor, and I was lost. And I needed to tell, I needed to be told by somebody that I was lost because the first step in getting saved is getting lost. And I needed to realize that I was a sinner in need of a savior, because I thought I was just a pretty good guy, and I wasn't. And he had the audacity to tell me the truth. And I will be eternally grateful to that servant, because he had the boldness on a regular basis to get in my face and tell me the truth in Jesus. I'm a Dave Ramsey fan, and I'll, I'll, I podcast the guy even, and uh, one of the reasons why I'm a Dave Ramsey fan, is because he's kind of fun to listen to, because he's like a hillbilly shock jock that just tells people truth, and I, 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 I put him on, if he's driving the car with me, I'll put him on, and she's, turn him off, <laughs> she can't stand him, because he's like almost, like he's on borderline rude with people, but I like him. That's part of my eccentric nature, I guess, because I listen to the guy I go, I'm going, tell him some more, Dave. <laughs> and, 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 people, and people call in and they innocently give him the, his problems. And, and, and Dave will listen, he listens, he listens. And then he goes, Look, go, All right, let me tell you something. And he said, and he does it in such a way that he acknowledges that he's done some stupid things too. But he goes, "Hey, I've been there. I've done what you're doing. And let me tell you something. What I'm telling you here is this. Now, what what you're paying right now is stupid tax because you've been stupid." (laughs) And I'm going, "Dave, go get him, man!" And he gets right in their face and almost like over the radio, almost like slaps them in the face. And why do 12 million people across the country listen to him? Because he has the audacity to tell people not what they want want to hear, but what they need to hear. Let's be Christians like that. Of all people, as Christians, we got the best news possible, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have the truth of God's word, and let's use that in our service to other people to say this in love is what you need to hear. This is the truth of Jesus Christ, and I'm gonna care enough to speak truth into your lives. Speak the truth in love, but truth, And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what do we learn this morning about being a servant? Six things. Number one, be an underbrower. What does that mean? We listen to our commander-in-chief, and we do what he says. Number two, be stewards. And stewards are supposed to be found what? Faithful and trustworthy. Number three, we're to be be people that are God-pleasers and not what? Man-pleasers. Number four, we're to stay humble. Number five, we're to be willing to make sacrifices for the cause of Christ. And number six, very important, we're to be willing to confront others with truth in love. Amen, church? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that we have the privilege of studying your word. And we know that that as your word says, as we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And Lord, give us servants' hearts. Help us to realize that greatness in your kingdom is determined by just serving God. Help us to be followers of Jesus to the point that we take up our cross daily. We deny ourselves. And we live for the kingdom and not for self. And we live in such a way that we serve you and we serve other people, Lord. And Father, when you use us with any gifts you've given us, help us always to point up. Help us to be people that don't grab the glory, but help us to stay humble, Lord, in our service to you, Father. And Father, I pray, too, that we would be people that are willing to make some sacrifices for the cause of Christ. Because Jesus, you've made the greatest sacrifice, your life. And greater love has no man than this that he laid on his life for his friends, and you've called us, called us your friends, God. Thank you for your service to us, Jesus. Thank you that we could humbly serve you now because you served us so well on the cross. And Father, I pray too for this last area of truth. Help us to be people of the truth and aren't afraid to speak truth in other people's lives, Lord. Help us to do it in love, but help us to speak truth and be people of truth with others, Lord. As iron sharpens iron, we sharpen with one another with truth, Lord. And Father, if there's people in our extended family or people in our family or people in our friendships, people at work, people in our neighborhoods that we need to speak truth to, Lord, use us in that way, even this week, Lord. Give us some divine appointments where we can humbly serve other people by bringing them truth and your love and your grace, Lord. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being servants of Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of being stewards, managers of our time, our talents, and our treasures for the kingdom of God. Thank you for the privilege of making a difference in this world for the kingdom and for Christ. Use us even this week, Lord, and help us to stay humble servants that are just grateful for the opportunity of serving you and serving people, Lord. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.